Good morning, church. How many of y'all bring a table with you everywhere you go? So, uh, first question, how good is God's grace? I mean, how good is God's grace? Why, unmerited favor, right? Come on. So, I don't know, those of you in the back, you may not be able to clearly tell, but I am not Luke Brown. Um, as Nick said, I'm Sean Robertson, and uh, I thought since Nick was gone till today, until uh, Luke was gone and Keaton was gone, that I might bring a little cowboy to church. I don't know if everybody's good with that, but I thought I would. And thank you. Thank you to Key. Thank you to the worship team. That's a brand new song that they've never played before. It takes a lot to do that. I don't know if you know that or not, but thank you for doing that. And the last song was a request of mine. It's by a cowboy by the name of Cody Johnson. He's also a country singer, and the song's called By Your Grace. And I want to give everybody a challenge as we get started here. I don't know if you've ever heard that song before or not, but when you leave here today, I want you to look it up, find it, Cody Johnson, By Your Grace, and I want you to listen to it. I want you to listen to it and listen to the words, and I'm going to give you what I call my lump challenge. Everybody's going, what's a lump challenge? Lump challenges, I want to see if you can listen to that song and pay attention to the words of it without getting a lump in your throat. I don't think that you can. But if by how, somehow you do that, you come back to see me and I'll give you your money back, okay? <laughs> but check it out. So Cody Johnson is a cowboy. Um, I used to want to be a cowboy. Not just when I was a little kid, actually as a grown-up kid, I wanted to be a cowboy. But I, I came to the conclusion uh, in the last 10 years or so that God didn't make me to be a cowboy. And that was disappointing to me in a lot of ways. But what he did reveal to me is that he made me to be a shepherd. There's some parallel to that. But in the last year, Holland Chapel has come and, and they asked me to serve as an elder. And the word elder, by definition, is to shepherd. And, you know, somebody like me, I had to figure out, well, what does it mean to be a shepherd? And basically, I make it real simple. My responsibility, along with a couple other men in the church, is to pray for the church. It's also to lead the church, and it's also to feed the church. And when I say feed the church, what am I talking about? I'm talking about teaching. And I don't typically teach to crowds this small. This one's a little bit different. But teaching comes in all forms and fashions, right? And, and as I serve the Lord and as I spend more time trying to figure out how can I be more like him and less like me, he's taught some things to me. And one of the things that he's taught me, he's, he's given me a burden. And this burden that he's given me is to help men in particular figure out how to live the life that God's created us to be. There's a big gap in this world, I don't know if you know it, because men don't fulfill the obligation, the responsibility that Jesus has given us. I've got a burden for this, and, and over the last three years, uh, I was introduced to a, a life-changing study uh, for me and several other men that's called Better Man. And I've been teaching this for the last three years to men coming through, and, and we teach men how to courageously follow God's Word, how to love and protect God's woman, and how to excel at God's work, and ultimately how to better God's world. And we do that by discipling the next generation. So as I do this, I've looked and I've learned and I see 
There's so much that we all have in common, especially as men. We'll tell you that we're different. We'll tell you that we're unique. But truthfully, we've got a lot that we all have in common. And one of those things that I found that we have in common is not just to men, but it's to men and women, and it's that we all wander. You agree with that? We all wander. In Isaiah 53, verse 6, the passage that was read earlier, it says, All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We've left God's path to follow our own. And yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. This morning, God's put it on my heart to encourage each one of you and to try to take his word, and it won't be anything that I say, but through his word, my hope and my prayer is that it teaches us how to get on and stay on God's path. You guys all right with that? So when you leave here, if nothing else, you will leave here with one word. If nothing else, I'm going to ingrain it. God's going to ingrain it in your mind, this one word. And we're going to get to that one word here in a minute. But it is the key to us living the life that God calls us to live. That one word. So as we go forward, as I think about this, and I spend a lot of time kind of you know, studying this, and God gives us so many decisions. We make decisions every day. You know, the research says that the average human, you can raise your hand if you're average, I don't know who that person is. Uh, thanks, Jason. The average human makes approximately 35,000 decisions a day. And if you break that down, that, makes it, that means that we make approximately 2,000 decisions every waking hour that we have. And that means that you make one decision every two seconds. And if you roll that up over the course of a year, you will have made more than 12 million decisions. Now you know why you're so tired when you go to bed at night. You're constantly making decisions. We're making decisions from everything from the biggest decision and the single greatest decision that any human ever makes is whether or not they will accept the grace of God. Eternity lies in that. That's the greatest decision you make. Will you accept the love of Jesus and the sacrifice that he made for you on the cross and give him your sin so you can walk freely or will you carry that with you? That's the greatest decision that we'll ever make. And then it all the way goes down to What's the next word that's going to come out of my mouth? Constantly as we're making all of these decisions, there's a battle that's going on. And the battle is, will I do this my way or will I do this God's way? It's constant. It even goes into the daily activity. You wake up every morning and we make choices. We make choices of which way are we going to go. Are we going to go my way or are we going to go God's way? So, with this tug of war, I want us to look this morning, there are both options, there are two options. We're going to look at them and then we're going to get into what Jesus has to say about the way that we're supposed to or we were designed to live this life. Option A, as we look at this, this is what I'm going to call the my way method. I know you've been there. I'm not the only one up here that's ever done things my way. Jeremiah in Jeremiah 6.16, if you've got your Bibles with you, uh, it says that this is what the Lord says. Stop at the crossroads and look around. Ask for the old godly way and walk in it. But you reply, that's not the road that we want. This was back several years ago, and we still make the same decision today. Sometimes we choose my way, and we don't want God's way, right? So some of you may be like me, and, and maybe you're more of a, an imagery guy, right? So Jeremiah makes it real clear. We're going to look at two images real quick that I think clearly demonstrate the my way method. And the first one that you're going to see here 
This is an example of the my way method. I don't know if you can see that or not, but it says the longer you look at this, the worse it gets. And this is often what happens when we do things my way. We've got limited resources and limited vision, but I will do whatever it takes to get it done. And this is true. The longer you look at this, the worse it gets. There's another example, I think, exhibit number two, of another way of doing things my way. How many of you have been here? In the South, we call this, y'all watch this. I can do this, right? And this is oftentimes what it ends up looking like when you do things my way. So where does this leave us? By the way, this has been going on, this method has been deployed ever since Genesis, right? In the very beginning, we chose to do things my way, and where does that let us? It got us kicked out of the garden. It created separation between us and God. It's created mental health issues. It's introduced crime, isolation. All of these things are derivatives of this my way method, which leads us to the point of going, surely there's something better than that in life, right? And that's what we're going to look at now. So as we turn, we're going to go to option B. And this is the maker's way, God's way. This is the way we were designed and intended. So we're going to spend our time in John 15. If you'll open up your Bibles, John 15, verses 1 through 11. And, and as we do this, I think that we have to ask the question, if we talked about what it means to do life my way, what happens, the results come from that, but what are the results when we do life God's way? The best way that I can put it to this, or put this to you, is this way changed the history of the world. Okay? So there were a handful of people that spent intimate time with Jesus, the Son of God. They walked with him for three years, and they learned his teachings. He taught them about the Father. He taught them about their way. And, and when he did, he said, hey, you're going to have some challenges to come out. I need you to live this way. I need you to do this. And when you do this, you're going to take the gospel. And the gospel is simply the good news of Jesus. And it's going to spread like a fire, and it's going to go all the way across the world. It's because those people chose to follow Jesus this way. And then we're going to use that as our model as we go forward here. But let me give you just a little bit of context as to what's going on. So this is from John 15. Some of you may have heard the term, the upper room discourse. Theologians, people smarter than me, basically they're taking John 13 to John 17. And it's at the end of Jesus' life. It's from the time that they are in the upper room. They're having the Last Supper. And it leads all the way up to the garden where he's arrested. And it's full of red letters. It's full of Jesus' encouragement, not only to his disciples at that time because what they were going to face, but it's to you and I. We need that encouragement. We need that instruction. We're not going to get into all of it today, but we're going to get really drilled into John 15. And as we look at this, I'm going to give everybody an assignment. All right? Everybody willing to do something here? You didn't come here and just sit on your hands, did you? All right, good. So here's the assignment. I'm going to read this. The words are going to be on the screen as well. And I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. And I want you to identify the one single word. In the beginning, I said we were going to have a one-word mes message. I'm going to let you choose that word this morning, okay? What's your homework assignment? Pick a word. One word. That's it. So the word from John 15, 1 through 11, it says, I'm the true grapevine. And my father is the gardener, and he cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. 
He prunes the branches that do bear fruit, and they, so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message that I've given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, and you are the branches, and those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch, and it withers. And such branches are gathered in a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want, and it will be granted. And when you produce much fruit, you are my disciples. And this brings glory, great glory to my Father. And I have loved you, even as the Father has loved me, remain in my love. And when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. So, we're going to do a quick poll. How many of you would choose from that passage your one word to be love? Raise your hand. We got, we got nobody? We got kind of half of one body? Jesus used the word love in this passage five times. How many of you would choose the word fruit? A couple that chose fruit. Jesus used the word fruit six times. And I, I believe that the fruit, which is results that glorify God, is the result of what we do if we follow what Jesus is saying here. How many of you would choose from the New Living Translation the word remain? If that had gone wrong, I don't know what I'd done right now. <laughs> I don't know about you guys. Jesus used the word remain 10 times. Does anybody else in the room feel like Jesus is screaming to you? Just a note, when you're studying your Bible and Jesus says something over and over and over, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to pay attention. 10 times he says it, right? So Jesus knew what was ahead for his disciples. He clearly knew the road that they were about to go down. And he clearly knows what's ahead of us. So he gives us this one word, the one word, super simple. He said, hey, look, it's going to be hard. You're going to do great things, but it's not going to be easy. I'm going to make this real simple on you. Remain. Remain in me. If you'll do that one thing, I'll do great things. So as you look, what are we talking about? Remain is remain when things are good. Remain means remain when things are bad. Remain means when you've got peace like a river, remain. But it also means when you're fighting and you're in the storm of your life, it means to remain. So what does it not mean to remain? Remain by itself has context, right? It means like constant. Remain does not uh, mean seasonal. We don't remain in Jesus for a season and then leave. It was intended to be constant. It's not supplemental. And I don't, you know, do life my way, and then all of a sudden when things get bad, I call 911, and it's like, Jesus, come save me. You're a supplement to my strength. It's not that. Remaining is sustainment. It means that we draw life 
from Jesus. That's what it means to remain. So as we go into this, the question that, that I think that we have to ask is if Jesus is saying it so many times, how do we do it? How do we remain in this life when this tug of war is going on? And I want to make this really tactical. We've got our word. I'm going to give you a simple formula. So when you leave here, you know your one word. That one word is remain. But how do we do that? And there's going to be a formula. I want you to write this down. It's going to be up on the screen here, I think. And it says remain equals position plus power. Remain equals position plus power. So I want to break it down into two different components. What does it mean to be in position to remain? When I was growing up as a kid and playing sports, um, I can remember, I don't know why this stands out, but I can remember multiple times my coaches yelling at me. And they would yell at me when I wasn't in position to do what I was supposed to do. Because it didn't matter whether, whether I was playing football or if I was playing basketball or if I was trying to team rope, if I was out of position, the results were poor. Here's the truth. It's the same with us and Jesus. If we're out of position, we cannot get the results that we were designed and built to do. So how can we possibly uh, take this passage and get in position? I want to read from back to verse 1. It says, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. You've already been pruned and purified by my message that I've given you. You see, in order for us to be in position to remain in Jesus, we've got to trust in the hands of the Father. Jesus says that I'm the true vine, I'm the true grapevine. But my Father, he's the gardener. That means... He's the owner of the vineyard. And that also means, by the way, he's in the fruit business. He knows fruit. But as we sit and we go, but he also says in verse 2, he cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't bear fruit, and he prunes the branches that do so they'll grow more. In order for us to trust in the hands of the Father, we're going to have to trust in his process. And sometimes his process includes the word prune. What, is, what comes to mind when you hear the word prune? You got a little cutting going on, a little surgery, right? It sounds to me as it would be painful to be cut on. It would be painful to be pruned. But if we trust in the process and we ask the Father, Lord, work your process in me, that's what unlocks our ability to yield fruit. So we've got to trust in the process. We've also got to trust and obey his word. This, this is his word. Hebrews says, in Hebrews eleven four, it says, I'm sorry, in 4.12, I get this right. In 4.12, it says that his word is living and powerful, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. This, this word, his word, is designed to cut. It's designed to prune. It's designed to turn us into what he wants us to be, but we've got to trust in him daily. We've got to trust in his process. We've got to obey his word, and we've got to trust the result. What is the result of pruning? What does he say? He tells us through this passage, he says, you know what? I'm going to prune you, and you're going to have room to grow. You're going to have room to turn into what I want you to be. You're going to be healthy. 
And by the way, you're also, one of the words that, that translates the, uh, the Greek of cutting is to lift. So you think about a vine that's on, in a vineyard, when, when a branch starts to wilt and starts to turn, God says, I'll reach down and I'll pick you up and I'll lift you. And I'll make you healthy again. But you've got to remain in me. He'll shape us, he'll teach us, and all of this is so we can bring him glory, which is ultimately why we were brought here in the first place. So this is how we stay in position with Jesus. What takes us out of position? I mean, if we went around the room and asked that question, we'd probably have a million different things that take us out of position with Jesus. But the way I want to answer this is think about your cell phone. Most of us have one. What causes us to lose signal on a cell phone? Two things. Heard somebody say one of them. It's distance. Right? If you get too far away from the tower and you get out on the rural back roads of Arkansas, which is not a bad place to be, but if you're looking for signal, it may not be the best place to be. You get out there and you get too far away from the tower, we lose connection. You may go into a dead zone. And you have no connection at that point. So in order for us to remain in Jesus, we've got to stay close. It's the same thing, right? The other reason why you might lose cell signal or service is because you've got too many barriers between you and the tower. Any of you ever been in a concrete building? Or maybe you're in a building with a metal roof and you're like, man, I know I'm sitting right close to the tower. Why don't I have any signal? Well, the reason is that there's a barrier between you and that tower that's not letting the signal come through. You're losing connection. Same thing with us. Luke did a great series uh, a couple of months ago on the Ten Commandments. What was the first commandment? I have no other gods before me, right? If there is anything between us and Jesus, we can't be connected. We've got to truly, truly be connected to him. So what's the truth about the position, being in position to remain? It's on the screen. It says, if, you, if it stops you from getting closer to God, then it needs to go. How many of you are willing to truly embrace that? Put your trust in the Father's hands and know that he's going to prune you. He's going to cut us. He's going to do what's best for us to bear fruit. If it stands between us and getting closer to God, it needs to go. That's what it means to remain in position. What about the other? Let's look at the power side. So remain equals position plus power. Power is about staying plugged in. Verse 5 says that those who remain in me and I remain in them will produce much fruit for apart from me you can do nothing. Now, if I stood here, I don't have one, but if I stood here and I had a lamp, a lamp in my hand that was real nice, it's got a real nice shade, it looks good, it's got a real nice cord that comes out of it, is that enough for that lamp to serve the purpose that it has? What's missing? The power. I've got to go to the wall over here and I've got to take this great lamp and I've got to plug it into the wall that brings electricity to the lamp that allows us to do what we were built to do. And again, the same is true with us. What is our power source? In this life, we have two options. We have the my way power source, right? Some of you may know this. I've tried this firsthand. It doesn't work very well. But the my way power source is a limited power. We are given the opportunity to do things our way. I can do it on my own power. But what happens, it's limited so it runs out. And when it runs out, it bears fruit. 
fleshly fruit. It creates things that are not good, and by the way, it also has consequences that are attached to that. But Jesus gives us a warning in here. He says, apart from me, that you can do nothing. It doesn't mean that we're not capable day to day of doing things on our own, but what it means is that you can't do anything of spiritual significance. We can't do anything that's going to bring God glory by ourselves. We've got to have the right power source. So, what are some of the fruits that often come with this? One, it starts with the fruit of pride. I don't know about you, but I've had this before as well, right? I can do this on my own. And just like, you know, like a battery, once the power starts to run off, it starts to bring other things into, into the scene. What does it do? It gives you frustration. Sometimes that frustration, running on your own power, ends up in anger. Anger can turn into something else. Maybe it leads to anxiety. Maybe you're a control freak. All of these things are fruits that come when you try to do things my way. But what's the other power source? If we're going to have the right power, let's look at what God intended in his way, and it's a limitless power. There is nothing, nothing that he cannot do. And this power that he offers us, for those that believe in him and those that choose Jesus, he offers us the ability through his spirit to yield spiritually, spiritual fruit. If you look at Romans 8, 11, it says, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same spirit within you. Just like the power that's in the wall, the electricity that we have in our homes, Do you understand the power that's available to us as believers? This is the power that brought Jesus from the grave from three days. Three days he was in a tomb and he walked out. That same power that did that lives inside of me and it lives inside of you. Who, who would not tap into that power? We have to, in order to get into the power, we've got to plug into it. Jesus said, I'm going to leave. And when I leave, it's actually going to be better for you. Because why? Because the Spirit's going to come. The Spirit of God is going to come. And he's not just going to be with you. He's going to live inside you. And by the way, you can do more things than even I did. We've got to plug in the wall, people. We have to call out, cry out day after day after day. Say, so give me the power. Because I know it's there, it's available to me. And when we do this, Galatians 5, and 23 says, but if the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. That's what we're capable of producing if we tap into the power. But we have to, we have to make the choice. So what's the truth about power. Remaining, as you see on the screen, is not a DIY project. You may be able to remodel your house by yourself, but you cannot produce spiritual fruit by yourself. We have to have the Spirit of God that is fully available, that brought Jesus from the grave. It's available to us, but we have to cry out for it daily. And then we let him do what only he can do. So, as we look at this, and if you find that, you know, maybe you're, you're 
power is running low. Or you find maybe that you're walking through the wilderness. Or maybe you're starting to wither. Or you look around and you go, I, I don't have any fruit. And what fruit I do see is not good. Check your power source. Check your position and then check your power source. What's the result of remaining? Jesus is going to answer this very clearly starting in verse 7. I want us to read this. He says, but if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. And when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. And I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. And when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I've told you these things so that you'll be filled with my joy. And your joy will overflow. What's the result of remaining? Jesus gives us a conditional statement. He says, if plus and. He says, if you remain in me and my word remains in you. It's conditional. We have to do that. We have to remain in him. And he is faithful to remain in us when he does that. But we also have to remain in his word. So if we do that, if we're in position, we're aligned with his will. And if we have his power, we're aligned with his will. And we remain in his word, the truth. This unlocks the promise of remaining. And what is that promise? You can ask for anything. And it'll be granted to you. You will produce fruit. You'll be my true disciple. You'll bring glory to the Father. You'll have the love of me, Jesus, in you. And you will have joy. And not only will you have my joy, but my joy will overflow in you and it'll touch everybody that's around you. Now, what kind of life is that? That's the life of remaining. That's the promise that we have. And oftentimes, as we look at this, we think, man, that promise would be really nice. That promise is what he offers. But you know the real truth about remaining? Is it's the day-to-day -day journey that produces the greatest fruit. And that fruit starts inside of us. When we connect to him and life comes from him every day, we can't help produce fruit. So let's go back real quick. Our formula was remain equals power plus, or position plus power. In the beginning, we talked about decisions. We'll close with this. We're all somewhere today. You're either on God's path or you're on your own path or maybe you're standing at the crossroads. You don't know which way to go right now. But here's the thing. God gives us freedom to choose. He gives us choices. Evidently, he gives us 35,000 of them a day. I want to leave you with two choices, two things that I want everybody to think about. And one, that choice is, have you received the gift of God's grace? Do you know what it means to walk in freedom? Or are you still walking in your own way? I want to encourage you, please, don't leave here without learning more if you don't know what, about what it means to walk in God's grace. There'll be some people in the back that love to have this conversation with you. But for those of you that have, the question I would have is, how are you walking in God's grace? How do you walk day to day? Do you remain in Jesus? Or do we sometimes stray? Do we walk on our own? I want to go back
to the chorus of the song that was um, sang right before I came up by Cody Johnson. And the chorus says, I've got a long way to go. Oh, but Lord, I know there's not a step that I'm going to take when you're not with me. You're always with me. What was our word? Remain. This is what it means to remain. It means to walk day to day in the power and the grace of God. And if you do that, he promises us things and it will change the world. It's still changing the world today. So why not live your best life? Why not live today remaining in Jesus and watch him keep his promise? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Um, I'm humbled to have the opportunity to share it this morning with this beautiful, beautiful uh, group of people. Please don't let them leave without understanding the mag magnificence of your grace and how it changes everything. And I pray that we will all make the decision, that we will make the decision to remain in you, to bear fruit for you, and to change this world, to shine a light that will draw people back to you, Lord. We pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen.